Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline 337-706-0111. On this Wednesday... I am, um, it, 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 it's kind of a weird time. I, I, look, it is, it's, it was a very good thing. I think for me that I was in Miami this week because I've tried not to focus on the news coming out of New Orleans with the Saints. Not so much news, but just updates and developments. And I, I just and then and then I stupidly wore picked up a Saint shirt and wore a Saint shirt today, which I got no it, it's just not healthy for my psyche. I, I'm I'm trying to push it back as much as I possibly can to even think about the Saints. Really. I, I it's pretty healthy for me to think about the Astros because we're, you know, in the middle of a process right now. And I'm just, you know, taking it, taking the Astros as they come. If, you know, as long as they don't get swept, I'm fine. I just, just don't get swept. You know, everything is going exactly as planned for me. For the I mean, everything's going fine. I, you know. I got I got no issues. Do I love the injuries? No, but that's all part of it. I, I you know, as long as most of them are going to be back, and I think most of all of them are going to be back at some point. They're what? What are they? Eleven games? It's fine. everything's good. You know, all this panic in that that we had. It, it's all silliness. Everything's fine. Uh, now, in. In a small sample size, like I, again, I never like scoring a lot of runs. So I, I was prepared to lose yesterday. I mean, I was prepared. Uh, I was hoping that they could pitch great. And I think Hunter Brown pitched fine. I mean, he just gave up three home runs. I still don't know how Dar- Dalton Varshow's ball went out. I, I, I was watching the game. That's like the second or third time recently that I'm watching the game and the ball's hitting. I think it's like, you know. An easy a can of corn and then it goes out the park. It's weird, but I, I didn't think that was hit all that well and it went out. Um, so you know, again, yesterday. Now I got to tell you, I'm a little worried about the pitching matchups for the next two days. Framber's pitching today, and Framber's great, uh, and I'm hoping he goes out and, and and pitches great. But you know, they've got good pitchers going today and tomorrow too. And so, look, all I want to do is win one of these two games. I'm not greedy. I just want to win one of these two games, either win today or win tomorrow. Everything's good. Everything's I think it's good. it's actually going to be Blanco today and Framber tomorrow. Oh, yeah, okay. So, Blanco had – that's a good point. He pitched well his last time, but 
pitching against Toronto's lineup on the road and pitching at home, a little different. Uh, I'm a little worried about that. But I, I'm still high on him. I like him and that his last outing was good. So, look, everything's good for the Astros. It's But thinking about the Saints for me right now is just not healthy. It's well, Quickly on the Astros, I you know I don't know if you know some people thought we were actually very angry at each other with our Twitter exchange last night, but I don't know if they realized that's just kind of our ongoing discussion. That's not going to end, but it yeah. was all in good fun. But I think some yeah, people there's no anger that. involved. No, yeah, yeah, there's no anger. So I just wanted to clarify that because that was brought up a couple of times. Yeah, um, it's not angry. People it's sending a, me some you know, texts. There's, there's nothing about that discussion that should make anyone well, mad. Well, yeah, no, and I think sometimes, too, it's a lot more obvious when we're speaking about it, but sometimes in words on type, it's a little bit, you know, you can't yeah, see Yeah, no, that's the true. That, that's the bad thing about text and Twitter and all that. You're right. That that that, that That's fair. Um, But, you see, I am, most people, there are people who have known me for most of my life who have a very, there's this very false narrative out there. Uh, that I'm negative about my teams. I, I'm very much the opposite. I, I think I'm very glass half full about my teams. I am so excited about the Saints. I don't even know what to do with myself. Um, but, and that's why it's just best that I just, I'm trying to ignore it, but it's hard to ignore, you know. Is Plastic Man really going to play? Like, like, I, I, in my mind, I'm saying, yeah, it makes sense that he's gonna play, but it's just like I, I, I'm, I'm just like at a, I'm like a six year old looking at this present under the Christmas tree, and I, I know I don't, I shouldn't even think, just don't even think about it, much less open it. That's where I am right now. Well, I thought his comments yesterday, and we played some of them on RP3 and Company. Um, were like very encouraging and surprising because he's not a guy that's, you know, there's some guys who are just going to go up in front of the media and tell you everything you want to hear and make you feel good about yourself no matter what the situation is. Mike hasn't been that guy. He's largely disappeared at times from media-type things, and there's been times where he's been pretty vague in his comments, but he was like very, you know, and maybe that's just because it's a fresh start and right now it seems rosy and maybe it'll get bad later, but... I thought he sounded very genuine. I thought he sounded excited to go. He sounded like he and Derek Carr, I don't know if they're best friends, but they certainly sound like they have a great professional relationship or at least are off to that start. And, um, yeah, I think as of now there's no reason to be down other than the prior history that we know about. Well, again, uh, and by the way, I've come up with a new nickname. And my my son, Russ, is, you know, he he plays all these video games and he watches and and a lot of them are around you know the the superheroes and and I'm sure you've noticed we kind of have a superhero theme to a lot of our you know we have Plastic Man who is Michael Thomas and we had Superman who was Mark Ingram I don't know you know Mark Ingram's out of the picture now so I don't know how that's gonna go and then we had Aquaman who was Brandon Cooks. And I've come up, and, and it hit me this morning because Russ is too high on this guy, this, this, this uh, superhero guy. And I'm like, Russ, it's enough of that, enough of that guy. That's all he ever talks about. But then it hit me when I was saying that this morning. We got to utilize him. So Shahid is now Flash. Like, and then that makes sense? Isn't Shahid Flash? You don't buy that? 
Uh, I, I don't not buy it. it you know, I, I'd like to hear a little more of the explanation. Is he that fast? I mean, he's oh, fast. I think he's that fast. Okay. Yeah, no. I and mean, he's I'll quick. And he's fast. He is and quick. And he's quick. He's both. Yeah, and you also, you didn't even mention Batman is what you call Taysom Hill. So. And Batman, yes. A lot of superheroes. Yeah, a lot of superheroes. Yeah. Yes. No, I'll go with it. I and think I, Flash makes sense for Shahid. You know, the... I, the only issue I have with Shahid is the danger of expectations. Like that's the only thing that I'm concerned about is, is that he came into last year with nothing to lose and nothing. You know, he was a guy just trying to prove that's himself fair. desperately. I do worry a little bit about how how much pressure and now he's got a legit role and sometimes that's tough to live up to. But um, as long kinda as kind of like Callaway, in, like, in a way, which now I think Callaway's we saw a little less. different receiver yeah. skill set wise. But yeah, we we assumed he was going to be this and then it didn't happen. Right, that's fair. But if we get what we got last year, or just a little more, then he should be uh, fine. Especially since he could be like fourth or fifth on the target list. Yeah, he could be fourth or fifth, but he also could be second. It, it all it, it all depends. So that just depends again on some of the issues with Mike Thomas and and everybody else staying healthy. And but I think yeah, there's a wide range of outcomes for him this year, uh, from being very productive to being a, an afterthought or somewhere in between and while we're just going down this road you know just I don't know that we're in la la land I don't know that I'm in la la land but I can see la la land from where I am kind of situation um if Lucas Kroll when you have a name like Lucas Kroll I mean what a great name if if he makes the team which I think he's gonna and be better than most people are thinking like what kind of nickname do you give someone whose real name is Lucas Kroll. <laughs> I mean, you're not high on him? Um, not enough to where I'm worried about nicknames at this point. Okay. But, I mean, I'm, I'm open to the idea of him becoming something. I think he can be good. Yeah, certainly. <sighs> Again, it's just not healthy for me to think about the same track. Well... Yeah, no, probably not for you. It, but it's it's not it's not. There's it's a not, lot of to, what is it? Healthy. June seventh. We got. I'm trying not to. I, July, I, I watched August. the. Did you you the Derek Carr interview got me? To, I'm like I don't need to be. <laughs> I don't need to be seeing this. The, yeah, it's this is that time too where well and the it's most difficult for me in about two or three weeks because you're going to be after baseball. College baseball is going to be over. Uh, the MLB is going to be kind of in that lull before the All-Star break where, you know, it's just, you know, you're just waiting for the next big moment. Um, and that's when you start going, man, how far away is training camp? How far away is uh, preseason? And it's still a long ways away. That's when it gets tough for me. The z 28s thing, you know, if you remember, I wasn't that high on Miller. and And the reason why I wasn't, is because I was hoping that they would draft a replacement for Z28. Because it, it wouldn't shock. I mean, I hope everything turns out great with Z28. But I'm already mentally prepared for him to never play another down for the New Orleans Saints. I'm already prepared for that. Anything I get above that is Lanyap. So part of my disappointment and confusion when they drafted Kendra Miller, who I think is talented, but he's he he he's he's more of a downhill runner. He's more Superman than he is Z28. And so I wanted them to draft a potential replacement for Z28. And when they drafted Superman's replacement, potentially, I'm like, all right, it just messed with my mind. 
Yeah, I, I think sometimes, though, you can't do it all at once. And, um, you know, I think they're hopeful he's going to play again. We did get some kind of details about the the situation um, from Fletcher Mackle, or at least their perspective on where they think that case is headed, and it's not in a great direction for the Saints. But, in theory, it's still worst-case scenario is going to be like eight or ten games. I, I think he's still going to play at some point this season. But it is looking a lot more uncertain than it yeah, even was. Yeah, but if at it's eight or ten year. games, like what are you going to get out of him? Well, the the odds, the 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 glass half full take is that he'll be fresh down the stretch, and if you're in a decent spot, then it could be a bonus for your offense. I think that's that's the glass half full take. I think yeah, the glass half empty take is you might be struggling, and he might never get going because he hasn't been playing for however long. But it's an opportunity at least for him to be more fresh down the stretch. just I'm I'm trying I'm I'm I just it's just not healthy for me but I um no I'm I'm trying to put that but again it's difficult because already you know the national media doesn't care about college baseball like we do and so when you turn on any of the national shows if they're not talking about the NBA they're talking about the NFL already they're not talking about college baseball like we are and so it's just not I'm just not in a good it's just not healthy for me mentally but Anyway, we'll take a timeout. We'll shift gears. Speaking of college baseball, we'll be talking LSU baseball with Cokie Riley next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. We have with us Mr. Cokie Riley. How are you, sir? Doing really well. How's it going? All right. Let's start with the big controversy last week that ended up obviously working well for LSU. And uh, I, I, I did not communicate with you through that process. I was in Miami when I got the news with the Cajuns Regional down there and, um, in South Beach. And so when you heard that Paul Skeens was going to pitch against Tulane, what was your initial reaction and what was your take from a lot of the negative fallout from that initially? Um, at first I was surprised. Uh, I really didn't think that they would throw Paul Skeens against a team that, you know, they could probably have thrown almost anyone against and probably have beaten. Um, but, you know, Jay Johnson eventually was right. His underground weather sources, <laughs> just which is a phrase I still can't believe he said, um, were correct in that, you know, there was a chance of rain the next day and um, not just the next day, but the day after that as well. And, and yeah, they only got typhoid for three innings in that game, but it's, you know, better to get uh, Paul Skeens for nine and lose typhoid for a few innings than, um, you know, getting a regular typhoid start and only getting Paul Skeens for a couple innings. So, um, yeah, like I, I, the, the, I think the the decision eventually paid off for sure. And um, it, it all worked out in the end. And uh, it was surprising to see, see them use their best bullet against a 19 win team. Um, but, you know, 
it, it worked, and he went the full game, too, which, I mean, that's just really huge since he's not thrown a complete game this entire season, and um, the more innings you can get out of your best pitchers, the better it is for the rest of your team. So, but what had they? What happens if they lose six to five instead of winning six to five against Oregon State? Yeah, um, and th- th- there would be probably some questions surrounding um, that decision for sure. Um, but you know, they won, so it, it, I mean, it's hard to sort of imagine this, uh, like what the fallback fallout would have exactly been um, in the scenario if that were to happen and they didn't, you know, they would have, they would have just have lost that game instead of won that game. But um, I, I don't think, I also don't think if they had lost the game, it would have been on the pitching necessarily. Like they weren't fantastic in that game, but, you know, Ty Floyd was, was good enough and you, and it was hard to predict the weather. Um, underground weather sources and all, it would have been hard to predict the weather that day. So you would assume to have him longer. And I mean, Dr. Hurt did, did give up the two home runs, but he sold 12 strikeouts in that game. So um, if they would have lost that game, I think it, there would have been a lot of questions around the schemes thing for sure. But uh, I think you would have had more questions about uh, LSU's offense since um, this is a team that's built on their offense one and, Two, they were facing an Oregon State team that were missing their top two starters. So, um, yeah, you, like you had to win, you had to win that game, and uh, you you had to score more than five runs to do it. And it, it, anything less than five runs would have been just a major disappointment offensively for this team. All right, so I remember, seemed like I don't know, maybe week what four or five or something of the SEC season uh, when you play Kentucky, and I kind of underrated how good I kind of thought LSU would handle them based on what I had seen from Kentucky on paper, and kind of knowing what LSU was doing at the time, and and they won the series. But Kentucky was a good competitive team, and here they are playing Kentucky. How do you see the matchup now? Yeah. Um... I, I think this Kentucky team's pretty good, and uh, I think they're pretty deep in the pitching department. Even though LSU did hit them around pretty good the last time these two teams played, um, I think one of the re- I, I think it was a really competitive series just because uh, Kentucky plays played a vastly different style to a, a lot of teams LSU's played this LSU played up to that point that year this this year. Um, I, I, they don't. This Kentucky team, they just don't. And we probably talked about this the last time LSU played Kentucky. They just don't hit for a lot of power. He doesn't hit a lot of home runs. I mean, Hunter Gilliam's the only guy in this team who has more than ten home runs. Um, they don't score a ton of runs. I think they finished the year twelfth in the SEC in runs scored, but they're also, I, I want to say, they're first or second in batting average um, without next to LSU. So they put the ball and play a ton. They play a ton of small ball. Um, they don't score a ton of runs because, they, again, they just don't hit for a lot of power. And when you don't hit for a lot of power, it's hard to score runs in bunches. So um, they try to maximize all the opportunities they have on offense. And then pitching-wise, they're pretty deep. They don't really have a top ace, though. Or they don't really have a guy like Ty Floyd, even, who can go seven or eight innings, who can not, maybe not reliably go seven or eight innings, but can definitely do it on a fairly on a re- relatively consistent basis. They don't really have that either. Um, I guess Zach Lee is the closest thing they have to that, but um, they, they, but they're pretty much built on 
uh, you know, strength in numbers with their pitching staff. But again, like I said, LSU hit them pretty good the last time these two teams played. I would expect something similar to that happening again here as long as LSU can get their runners and scoring position thing um, a, a little bit more intact. And it looked like they, they did a much better job of that um, in, in, the, in the second Oregon State game. So uh, I think the one of the big keys here is what does LSU's pitching staff looks like looks like in this matchup because last time these two teams played um, Kentucky hit around Paul Skeens pretty decently. They, they were able to catch up to his fastball and put the ball in play quite a bit. Um, there was definitely some luck involved there because I, I think he gave up like one or two doubles that entire uh, of the what, eight or nine hits that he gave up in that start, but um, he still struck out 12 too. So that's going to be really interesting to see how Paul sort of adjusts from that matchup and then um, with the starting pitching and the rest of the pitching staff, I, I think the pitching staff now is better than it was uh, the last time they played Kentucky. So I, I'm really, really, really curious to see how that pays off and if it pays off um, from that last year. And, it, and, it was a very, very heavy offensive series. And am I assuming correctly that because they did skis the way they did, which I would not have done and, and it didn't sound like you would have necessarily would have done, but because the way it worked out, or is their pitching rotation in a better situation in terms of how they're going to use them in the Super Regional, or would that have happened anyway? Um, I think it's in a similar spot. I think it helps that they'll probably have an extra day off right, because it's going to be seven days off in between starts because if the series starts on a Saturday, um, assuming that he throws on Saturday, and uh, let's cross and hope, let's hope and pray that the weather is um, decent on Saturday when the game starts at two. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think it does, yeah, I, I think the way they set it up, it does help them a little bit. It gives them that extra day of rest. Um, just like, Heading into this past week's start against Tulane, he had a, he still had an extra day of rest, even though he pitched on the Friday because he started on the Thursday at the SEC tournament. So, um, yeah, he should be well rested for this. So, tell, how is the weather going to be from your underground weather sources? Um, they're not my underground weather sources. They're Jay Johnson's <laughs> other underground weather sources. <laughs> I wish I had underground with those sources, but I, you know, I, 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 uh, but apparently Jay does. Um, I, I, I don't know. Just like preliminary looks at the weather. Um, uh, some people post this on Twitter. Um, I've looked at it a little bit on just pretty briefly at the weather radar app that like, is this going to be a hairy day weather wise? It's going to be Saturday. Um, Friday and Sunday are perfect. Of course, Friday's perfectly fine when they don't even play. Um, uh, but Friday and Sunday are, um, they should be fine. But then again, this past week, we thought that uh, Monday was going to be an issue, and it wasn't an issue until after the game. And then we thought that Sunday was not going to be an issue at all, and then there was a three-hour rain delay. So, and, we're not, and I didn't even mention Saturday, where, where you know all the games were pushed back to, were pushed back a day, including one that was in the seventh inning and had to be resumed the next day. So, uh, at I don't know. It, it, like the weather here is a mystery, and um, you're obviously more used to it than I am. But you know, all just the constant thunderstorms and lightning, and um, but it's not like for the entire day. It's only for like a two-hour pocket. It's it's very frustrating trying to try to get a regional or a super regional um, through all that sort of unpredictability. 
No, no question. All right, so we talked about pitching all year long, and yet here we are, the Super Regional um, week. And do you feel like what all the that they're actually better off than we than they've been all year long? In other words, or should I say, do you have more confidence in their pitching now going into the Super Regional than you did going into most of the series from midseason on in the SEC play, or no? Absolutely, I do. And I think there's a good case to be made that we've, I guess, um, freaked out. I don't want to say we. I, I mean, just like the, the collective LSU fan base and um, people who cover the team. I, I think we've probably pressed the alarm button on this pitching staff too quickly. And the reason why I say that is because the underlying numbers, like fifth and um, like the strikeout rates and like all these like healthy signs as to, you know, what a pitching staff is really giving up and what a pitcher is really giving up have been pretty good for the team pretty much the entire season. They don't give, they don't give up a ton of extra base hits. Um, they'll give up some home runs, but they also get a ton of strikeouts and, um, and you see like on, on paper, they have talent, you know, and, the struggles have mostly been from a walk rate that's still probably a little bit too high. And uh, I'm just talking very generally here with the LG pitching staff, a walk rate that's probably too high um, and the injuries. Um, the injuries are always going to be an issue. Like, obviously, this team's much better with Garrett Edwards and much better with Chase Shores. Um, and I haven't even mentioned Grant Taylor or Jaden Newt. Um, but obviously if you had those guys, this could have been a really, a really plus plus pitching staff, but they don't have that. So what they have now is, is still probably good enough, right? They strike out a bunch of guys. They, um, they're doing a better job of, of lowering down their walk rates. And this is even outside of Paul Skeens. I know Paul definitely does inflate these numbers a little bit, but, um, yeah, I, I just feel like we probably overreacted to some of their struggles during the year. The SEC is a really tough schedule, right? Um, I thought they got, they, I mean, there was just a lot of innings where it would be a little single poke, poke to the right side or a little single poked up the middle. And all of a sudden they, you know, one, what should have been one run inning turns into a four or five run inning. And um, that was just happening a lot to them. And, and part of that's just bad luck. Um a part of that's just, you know, not executing at the right time, which is obviously on the pitchers, but, you know, it, 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 all, all it takes just, you know, a slight adjustment here, right. a slight adjustment there, and you're back to where you need to be. So I think that's kind of what's happening. That's kind of what is happening right now. And, you know, we have the sample size the last two weekends where they've played multiple different teams with multiple different hitting styles and some pretty talented teams. Oregon State's no slouch. Arkansas hosted a regional. South Carolina's going to the Supers. Like they played in Texas and nearly got to the super. They're still a pretty good team. Like they played all these teams and all these quality teams, all these teams that were talented enough to go get to the college world series. And they pitched well against all of them pretty much. So, uh, um, yeah, like, uh, like obviously not every single guy is going to be super reliable. Like someone like Sam Dutton might is probably not as reliable as someone like uh, Thatcher heard at this point, but at the end of the day, they're pitching better, and I think it's I think it's pretty obvious to see that. Um, I know they gave up seven runs this past game against Oregon State, but it was really but they really had held them before until the ninth inning when you know a couple of things happened here and there. And but the game was already out of hand, so it didn't totally matter right, that much. Right. So um, 
yeah, their pitching is they're just pitching a lot better, and um, part of that's just improved performance. A part of it, I, I I really do think is just like slightly better luck and. Uh, in in just everyone sort of realizing that oh these guys were never really that bad in the first place. All um, right, so is yeah. your gut feeling tell you sweep or this is going to be going to game three? Um, I think when you have Paul Skeen starting a game one in a super regional, I think that's about as as healthy of an advantage as possible, right? Especially with this offense and the fact that Kentucky really doesn't have someone who can match a guy like Paul. Um, the game two is going to be the most interesting. Um, I haven't looked dove into the numbers yet, but I think Ty struggled last time to play Kentucky, but I, again, I don't totally remember. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that sort of plays out. I remember Ellis played really bad defense in that game too. Uh, that was, that was kind of the driving reason as to why they lost that game. I think they would have won and swept Kentucky if weren't for that. Um, but and then they kind of got luck, kind of got, I don't say lucky in that, in that Sunday game, but it was definitely close back and forth game uh, where they needed some really timely hitting and some really timely plays. So, um, I, I, I lean towards three games. So I think it's like, it's still a pretty good team. They play like a really pestering style of baseball. Um, but it wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't surprise me if it was a sweep either. Um, I, I just think LSU is a much talent, much more talented team. And because of that, I I have trouble like picking against them in this series, even if um, even if Kentucky has been probably underrated a little bit for the entire year. All righty, sir. Well, we appreciate your time. Appreciate your time as always. Hopefully, um, the weather treats y'all a little better in Baton Rouge than this past week, and we'll see what happens. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. One of the things I didn't get to with Koki that I want, there's no way to really know the answer to this question, but it's worth at least pondering going into the series. LSU, the news came out this week, LSU's pitching coach is going to Georgia. So you wonder, I wouldn't think that would have an impact necessarily. It certainly doesn't guarantee an impact because it's not like, you know, what he's been preaching and teaching all year long is still there. Uh, It's not like he's going to not try. I mean, uh, you know, you just never know, though. It's just something to wonder, like, could it make a difference? At this point in the year, I doubt there's any um, like chemistry. Everyone, you know, there's too much on the line right now. Like this, that would be something that if I was an LSU fan, I'd be more worried if it happened like in the middle of the season. But right now, everyone's just so focused on winning and and, and winning a national championship. I just I don't think that will matter. But it's 
I guess it's something worth considering a little bit there. Um, you know, I am – obviously I love when my team hit home runs, but I actually prefer the style of baseball that Kentucky plays. It's just the problem with playing that kind of ball – which is essentially what Major League Baseball was trying to, would change his rules to get to, uh, is it requires sometimes you better get some walks because, and LSU's plenty capable of walking you, but it's just, it you know, it's it lends itself to the possibility of scoring three runs on 10 hits because you don't get enough hits with runners in score position, especially with two outs. I mean, again, that that's the beauty of, like, sometimes you get a couple walks, like last night. The, uh, the Blue Jays only got five hits. It wasn't like they crushed the ball. They got five hits in, not, in what, eight innings. They didn't bat in the ninth. They got five hits, but three of them were home runs, so they scored five runs. So um, that's the beauty of, of having extra base hit power. But the, other, the flip side of that is the way Kentucky plays forces you to play really good defense. And Koki brought up that LSU did not play really. And, look, LSU's a way better defensive team than they have been, you know, especially last year. But, um, but they uh, – in that game, this is a team that's a lot more difficult to play defense against than a lot of the other teams you're going to play, which play more similar power ball like LSU does. So, you know, it, it might make familiarity. Um, can make things interesting. You know, I was thinking while Koki brought up the Arkansas example, I think Arkansas baseball this year especially, is the perfect example of my argument about conference play in terms of the whole RPI that you've got to come up with a system where you don't get some as much credit for conference play. Like Arkansas in conference play was, you know, they just seemed to perform so much better. They're not a conference. And there's nothing wrong or right about that. It just is what it is. Conference play is just different. And I think Arkansas's baseball program this year is a perfect example of that. Uh, and, and, but I don't think it'll ever change. But because the, the power fives have too much influence to make, for that to change. But it, but it, is, um, it is what it is. Now, I haven't kind of like made predictions yet. But I was also thinking about that during the break, like looking at the super regional schedule. It seems like the predictions are fairly easy. Now, with that said, there were plenty of predictions going into regional play that probably seemed fairly easy and it didn't turn out that way. So like I always say, does it mean that I'm going to be right when I say, well, that prediction looks easy and that's an easy prediction for me to make? Does it mean I'm, an, I'm saying, well, I'm 100% going to be right? It just means that it's an easy for prediction to make. Some predictions are, are tough to make. Like, I don't really know. That doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, that doesn't mean it's not going to be a blowout. It might be a blowout. And you think, well, why was that so difficult to figure out? 
But, I mean, I think most people are going to pick Wake. Look, Wake on paper, we talked about this last week, I think is the best team. But history says Wake ain't winning. Now, on paper, they have the best pitching. They can hit. I mean, on paper, Wake Forest is clearly the best team in the country. Most well-rounded, on paper, the best team. But again, no number one seed has won the national championship since Miami did it in 1999. How many of, where were we in 1999? How long ago was that? Mike Ditka was coaching the Saints. I was miserable. Now, the Astros part of it was pretty good. They hadn't learned how to win playoff series yet, but they were they were had just won their one. The Astros were in the process of winning their third straight division title, and so you know I'm not a sports elitist. I I, I appreciate postseason appearances. Um, but from a Saints perspective, Mike Ditka was the head coach of the Saints the last time a number one seed won the College World Series. That's a long, one. That's a long time ago, and two, um, you know that that's a lot of history to go against. Now, you at some point, you could argue, I guess, that they're due to win one, and maybe Wake it will, will be that. But again, Wake's an easy prediction. I kind of, I, I don't trust Texas's bullpen necessarily, but man, in a three-game series, when you throw out two really good arms and a hot offense, I think Texas could be tough to beat. In, in, in a in an old six-team regional, I don't really like Texas's chances, the way they're built, but the way that this team is constructed, I kind of like their chances in a best two out of three with, with two excellent starting pitchers and a hot offense, even though the, the bullpen can be a little iffy. You know, I think most people could pick Florida pretty easily, Virginia pretty easy, TCU pretty easy. I think nationally most people are going to pick Tennessee, although I think Southern Miss is certainly not an easy. And most people are going to pick LSU. The toughest one is Oregon or or Roberts, and because Oral Roberts is a four seed, I think most people are going to just pick Oregon naturally. So I think these predictions are actually pretty easy. But again, how many people predicted Wake? I mean, Oral Roberts to be in the super regionals? So it doesn't mean you're going to get it right. But I think these are pretty easy, easier than they normally are. But we'll see how it plays out. All right, we'll take a timeout. And come back, finish out this first hour. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The Little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. 
Now back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. All right, game three of the NBA Finals is tonight. And we talked about it a little bit yesterday because I brought up um, the our Footnote Summer Project about coaches and NBA coaches. By the way, well, before I get to that, Eric Spolstra, if they win this series, which I don't think a lot of us think they're going to win, but I think I would hope by now that the elitist mentality that most of the American sports public and media had towards the Heat is now gone. I mean, like, how many good wins do they have to have? to earn some respect here. Like, you don't have to predict them to win, but let's stop acting like there's some sort of AAA team who's on this lucky run. Like, they've beaten some higher seeds, some really high seeds that have won a lot of games, and it's not like they're winning with a bunch of fluke and fluky ways. I mean, they're just beating people. They're out hustling them, and they're out executing them. So there's nothing fluky about what Miami, the way they play. So, I mean, it's time to start giving them some respect. So, but again, if Spolstra, if the Heat win, of course, it won't be over theoretically by the time we decide on Friday. But still, uh, especially if they win tonight, I think we'll have to... um, I mean, I I think him winning without LeBron and Wade, he will up a lot more of these lists. Like he, it's going to elevate him pretty quickly. And so we'll be talking more about that uh, the next couple of days, certainly. But I want to throw this out there: there are two guys that I think are the most underrated coaches in NBA history. And one of them has a local connection. And and I'm guessing a local connection that most of you, maybe some of you know about or are aware of, but I would think that most of you are not aware of. And by local, I mean, obviously, you know, the cage. So I, I I think that their um, there are two part of the reasons over the years that I mean obviously the number one reason we started doing these summer projects was because you know I think I did the first one like I don't know four or five years into doing radio and so whatever somewhere something like that and so I realized that during the summer you got to have something. It's nice to have a base of conversation. Sometimes you never talk about it, but at least you have a base of a conversation. So it just makes sense during, because again, 
when I started radio, there was no internet. <laughs> I mean, I guess there was, but it was maybe there was some somewhere, but it wasn't like all over the place. You, you didn't have all this information at your fingertips that you do now. There were no cell phones. <laughs> I mean, and if there were, there were, you know, people like me didn't have one. So, um, you know, it's just very different way back then. And so, um, you know, that, that, but the other reason for it is to educate and remind. For some of us, it's reminding or refreshing things that we knew 30 years ago that we don't know anymore. And some of it's to kind of an opportunity to educate and, and learn about some people. And there are two coaches in particular that I think are never get discussed and are pretty overrated in the history, underrated in the history of NBA coaches. And again, one of them has a local tie. So we'll see if anybody can come up with that over the next couple of days. That's it for hour number one. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction simulcast on stadium 32.3 133 on lus fiber the game hotline is 337-706-0111 all right we got a lot again lots going on we talked a little bit about the saints from the otas this weekend and about how scary that is for me We talked um, LSU in the Super Regional matchup against Kentucky. I knew this person was going to ruin it for all of us. Because the minute I said that, I'm like, I know who's going to call and he's going to know the answer. But we might ask him to hold off a day. Also, something that he would be interested in. Um, today at 1130, so shortly after we get off the air, Hogan Harris is pitching, making another start at Pittsburgh in a day game on a getaway day on Wednesday. The interesting thing about that is what did the A's do last night? It crushed the Pirates. And not only did they crush the Pirates, they crushed Keller, who was having a fabulous season. So, I don't know how many runs the A's are going to give Hogan today. Now, with that said, I don't know that the Piper's all that interested in the Oakland A's. So, if any team can maybe get away with having one hot day in the middle of one of the most miserable seasons in the history of the sport, it could be the A's. So they might they might actually survive this. But just something to keep an eye on. Day game, 1130 in Pittsburgh. Uh, Hogan pitching against the Pirates. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. What question? What question? I know the answer. I don't even know what the question was. Okay. 
we're doing NBA coaches this week, and I, I, I think there are two coaches who I would consider the two most underrated coaches in NBA history. I don't know that. Uh, I mean, I really don't. I don't even have a, I don't even have a thought. I realize this. You, you're doing one right now. I got no answer. Okay. And one of them has a local tie. Hmm. Okay. I really don't okay. Know. That's okay. Anyway. That's okay. That's okay. That's good. I, I, I'm glad you said that, but go ahead. Kevin, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk about something else, but when you're talking about Oakland, you know, you know, we dog Oakland as much as we, we, everybody does, and they right, rightfully so. But, you know, they got a Kyle on their team that might, might get 100 steals this year. Oh, no, no, no question. He can really run. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, last time I saw he was only batting about 230. I mean, it's not like he gets he's batting 300. But, man, when this guy's on base, he's running. I mean, he's running no matter what. I mean, I saw one game, they threw him out three times in one game. They ain't stopping him. He keeps on running. And why not? What you got to lose? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess. Like, he's the most exciting thing on their team. Probably so. Yeah. Right, easily so. But, Kevin, look, how I, I talk about a, 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 a Reeves, you know, you know, he's not going to get much run, you know, even though he's going to be hovering around 400 all year long. But back in the day, the last guy that almost came to, to do it, George Britt. Man, that was a big thing back in the day about him getting close to uh, 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 doing what Ted Williams did. You remember them days? Well, no question. But, again, you could say he came close. He had 390. Now, that's obviously way closer than anybody else in my lifetime. But still, that was 10 points away. It wasn't like he hit like 397 or something. But, yeah. No, look, and I'm glad you brought it up because it is, look, the fact that Arise is hitting, I think he's hitting 401 right now. That's incredible. Like, we're in June, and the cat's still hitting 401. But I, I don't I don't think he's going to threaten it at all. But I don't think he's going to come close. But it's still, it's impressive what he's done. And like they, he's getting no run at all. It's just the day and age we live. Everybody, what the chickens dig the long ball. That's all they worry about. Absolutely, it's all they everybody. care about is the long Kevin, ball. Yes. But look, look, look. Well, what my question is to you. I, I don't know if you'll have the answer. But let's look at all these hitters, all these great hitters that were like not not for power, but for average. You look at Ted Williams. You look at Rod Carew. You look at Tony Gwynn. You look at Wade Balls, and you look at him. And what do they all have in common? Uh, left-handed. Okay, so that's my question to you. Why is it that the left-handed hitters are always the best, like, pure hitters that, for, like, for average and this, always seem to face the ball where they want? Why is that? Well, you know, it's incredible to me. And why is – because, I, look, I, I'm, I can barely add, much less, you know, say I'm a master of physics. But I have never understood why is the left-handed swing – prettier than the right-handed swing. Why? Because why Why can't a right-hander swing like a left-hander? Because, I mean, if you look at it like in a mirror, it's the opposite. <laughs> like, why is it that simple? But it's not. The left-handed swing is just prettier than the right-handed swing, period. And also, why is it easier for a left-handed pitcher to get a left-handed hitter out than a right-handed pitcher to get a right-handed hurt out. Well, I think that's just familiarity. I think, maybe I'm wrong, I've always thought that was just familiarity. You see so many more right-handed pitchers growing up. I could be wrong, but that's always been my thought process on that one. Uh, well, 
I guess maybe you know, maybe somebody they can explain to me about why these left handed. No, I, I can't get it. No, I don't. I don't get it. But but I will tell you what though. You remember he was the guy that hit the home run off that Japanese pitcher. You know the one that was really uh, supposed to be real good. It was him that hit a three run homer in the World Baseball Classic, wasn't it? Who's that? Arise. Oh, I didn't think so. But we'd have to look that up. I didn't think so. No, I could be so wrong. Who hit but the three I don't run think so. Run off of him in the World Baseball Classic. Was it Urias? I know it's like it was one of the Venezuela teams. I think. Was yeah, that I, I think it was the guy from the Brewers that just came off the IL. Urias. I, I think that's. Yeah. I think you're correct on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. But anyway, Bears, y'all have a good day. All right. Thanks. All right. So, Dawson, have you ever come up with a theory on why the left-handed swing is prettier than the right-handed swing? Because it makes no sense to me. I, I, it's always mystified me. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, and you can see those videos where they flip over a right-hander swing to look left-handed and a left-hander to look right-handed. And I think there's still – there's some pretty right-handed ones, but I think there's more from the left side. I, I don't know what that is. You know, I somewhat of an idea on the average thing. It's not much of a theory, but I think a left-handed hitter's got a little bit more of an opportunity to get some infield hits because you got the shorter distance to first. That's really microscopic, though. I don't know how big of an impact that is, but when you're talking about a guy like Tony Gwynn, I'd assume he had a handful more infield hits than he would have if he was right-handed. Um, but, yeah, no, I don't, have a, I don't have a great reason for it. I guess just – and, yeah, no, it is really the case. You think about pure hitters, it's always usually left-handers. You don't think about – you know, there's been some righties, certainly, but not as many. All right, so I just got a this text. Tell me how if this if this flies. He says left-handed swing is naturally facing first base and doesn't have to turn around to run to first base. Always thought that had something to do with it. I I, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's somewhat kind of playing into what I'm talking about with infield hits, but um Yeah, I I, I don't know cuz it's pretty it's pretty mirrored like you're saying the the right hand it's you still have to do the same mechanism um and and i mean is it that much in your head about the fact that you're about to be running is that really are you really thinking about that when you're swinging not necessarily right so i don't know it's weird it is but i've always it's always fascinating me but but no the the left-handed hitters are um now could it be that left-handers hit right-handers more in terms of the production, not the beauty of it, that left-handed hitters normally hit right-handers pretty high, and you see a lot more right-handed hitters, and so that's why they hit for higher averages o- o- over the long haul. You know. That. Yeah, I think that I, I do think the lefty. The other thing too is, but I don't know. There's something to left-handed pitching too. It's different than right-handed pitching, and and why are lefties so much more? E- like if a guy has, you know, throws in the and this is more so in the college game than the pro game, but if a guy throws like low to mid eighties with a good breaking ball, if that guy's right handed, he's generally not gonna have a shot to make a division one roster. But a, a soft tossing left hander with a good breaking yes. ball makes a and is good. And yeah. I don't what's the difference, right? It's just weird. It it, it 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 is it is that for sure. I uh I I don't have the answers to those questions. You know, again, all of that plays into why, in my mind, baseball is just the best sport. Like, I still can't explain how 140 years ago a fast guy hits the ball to shortstop and he's out by a step, and 150 years later a fast guy hits a ball to shortstop, he's still out by a step, even though he's a lot faster than the guy was 150 years ago. 
I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, no, it's that's it's a good point you bring up. <laughs> it's just I mean, a, it's just amazing. The shortstops are a little better too. I think that's maybe a part of it, but not a, yeah. It doesn't seem like it'd be enough of a part of it. It it is it, it is amazing. So anyway, we'll see what happens with Hogan and in the, in, in, the, in the A's today, and then of course the NBA playoffs. But the point I was getting to before we got off on a tangent, which was a great tangent, so I'm glad we did, is um. We were talking at that last hour, Spolstra. Understand that if he wins, there are a lot of guys. Well, I say a lot. There's a handful of guys like Chuck Daly and Red Holzman and Casey Jones that have two world titles as a head coach. If Spolstra wins and gets that third, which he's not supposed to, but if he does, then the only people ahead of him with all-time titles, or Kerr, who has four, Popovich and Riley, who have five, um, and uh, as does John Cundler, and we'll talk about him later in the week. John Cundler was the guy who was the head coach of uh, George Mikan and the, and the Minneapolis Lakers from, like, what, the 40s and 50s. Like, he was the first great coach and won a bunch of titles. And then Red Orbach nine and Phil Jackson 11. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six guys. He's going to jump to seventh all time Spolstra if he, if they happen to somehow win. And again, I, I think some people are acting like it's just, I think this would from, from the beginning of the playoffs to say that they could win as a, as a not just a play-in, but a team that had to win two games. They lost the first game. Think about how on the brink they were of not even technically making the playoffs. And then if they had lost, no one would have thought anything, and we didn't realize that this team might have won a championship. It's crazy. But so from that point, it's unbelievable what they've done. But from the point that we are now, that they've played all these rounds, I don't know that we should be all that surprised. Like, again, they're doing they're, – they're not winning fluky, like I was saying earlier. So, no, I mean, he, he, he kind of gets up into, as they call, rarefied air if, if he actually gets this third one. No one has three right now. Cup, you know, a handful have two. And another more, a little bit more than a handful have more than three, but uh, he he gets into pretty good company. And look, the Nuggets are deficient enough on defense that if the Heat shoot the ball especially well, which they have quite often during this postseason, I'm not going to be shocked if they win tonight at home. I mean, I don't know why anybody should be shocked. They they. They, they've proven that they know how to play defense. They've proven that they're not scared. And they've proven that if they have a hot shooting night and they have two or three guys that can really shoot it, if they're hot, they could win. That would be – again, I, I'm okay either way. Like if the Celtics were in this, I'd be, oh, no, oh, please. I, I'm, I'm good with either one. So it's, it, it's a lot more pleasurable for me to just watch and there's not as much angst. Isn't that a great word, angst? It's one of the great words. We'll take a time out and be back.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Old Tucktail. Tucktail. Noun, a former NFL coach who put his tail between his legs and went back to college, where it's easier to win. Also known as Nick Saban. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Once again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. If you would like to talk Super Regional Baseball, certainly feel free. If you would like to talk about the NBA Finals Game 3 tonight, what you expect or anything like. If you would like to discuss anything about the coaches, we're about to get into that a little bit. And if you would like to talk about the Saints or Major League Baseball, again, you know me, I'm always up for talking about the Saints, but right now it's just unhealthy for me. I'm just I'm just I'm too close to I can too close to La La Land, so it's just not a healthy thing for me to do. But if you would like to do it, you know, I've been doing this a long time now and I never turned down a good Saints conversation. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Foot. Yes, sir. You have good knowledge of Major League Baseball. So is there a big up punk in the major leagues, in uh, Peter Alonso from the Mets. Well, I, you know, some of that is taste. Obviously, if you're a Mets fan, you probably – I don't know that he's the biggest punk, but he's on that list, and I've never liked him. There's just something about him I just have never liked. Did you see what he did last night? He hit a home run in the third inning, and the camera's on him in the dugout. He's telling the Braves pitcher, oh, yeah, throw it there again. That's where I like it. And then in the ninth inning, when they lose, and he strikes out like a big punk. <laughs> Who was pitching? Iglesias? Uh, Elder. But, but, for, but no, and Elder was pitching in the ninth why, inning? Why would you tell him throw it there again? Wait, Elder was pitching in the ninth inning? Oh, no, not in the ninth. It was Iglesias. Yeah, okay, yeah. Elder was pitching in the third, and, and, and he hit a two-run homer. And, and, and why is the why they following him in the dugout? I have no idea. Anyway, but but he's telling him, and you can read his lips. And, and the announcers are saying that he's a little feisty. Yeah, throw it there again. That's where I like it. And, and yell into the yell into the mound. Yeah, I'm not I a mean, big fan of him. I mean, y'all 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 six or seven games behind, and and, and underachieving again the Mets, and, and you're gonna talk to the Braves pitcher like 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 you're something special. No, look, it's your job to hate the Mets. Uh, I'm all good with it. But, no, I agree with you. He is always – again, I didn't have anything against him until I – he's just too cocky. I, you know when I started not liking him is when he his interviews that he gave, like the first year he was in that, that – he was in that home run derby, like he's a big home run derby guy. And he's talking like he's like up there with Babe Ruth or something. I mean, he's just like, like, cat, it's your first year. Just shut up and be humble. I mean, (laughs) that guy, yeah, he turned me off. I didn't like, I don't like him. Hey, I I know you said, you told me you talked to him, but I got a question for Dawson. Y'all were talking yesterday about 
El Perro Grande, which 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 him not being in the top ten under thirty is ridiculous. But I heard Dawson say he might be number one. Dawson, please don't tell me you think he's better than uh, Ronald Acuna. Um, as a hitter, yes. As an overall player, I'll take Acuna's overall skill set. Sure. Have you looked at Acuna's uh, hitting this year when he's finally healthy? Oh I no, think yeah. He's not far behind El Perro Grande, even if he is in, in in any category besides home runs. I mean, they're different kind of playing. Well, or El Perro leads the league in in RBIs. I mean, I don't think. I don't think – I mean, they're just different players. They're both elite players. They're just different. So if you were starting a franchise tomorrow, which one would you take? Well, that's a different because that takes into account everything. So I'll take – yeah, I'll take Acuna as an overall player. I said that, but I still would take a like – and Foot's brought up, and I think it's a good comparison. If I need a, a base hit or a, a run driven in in a World Series game, I want Jordan. But they're two, two great players. Him not being in the top ten is ridiculous. I mean, I don't know who made that, but uh, he needs to reevaluate his, his list. All right, talk to you all later. <laughs> okay. Again, we're talking about two elite young players here. But um, I just uh, – it, 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 it's crazy. Um, I'm not, not a big Pete Alonzo guy, so I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, Troy and I agree on some things. We disagree on a lot. Troy, Troy's a, a Patriots lover. I never, I don't know that I ever knew a, a Dolphin fan that's such a Patriots lover. But um, so we disagree on a lot of things. But Pete Alonso is one of the things that we definitely agree on. Not a big fan of him. Now I don't hate, I don't hate the Mets as much as he does because the Mets are in his division. That's his job to hate the Mets. But um, you know, he's more of a oh. And, Wait, since I'm going to bring this up, I was going to do this later, but since it just popped into my mind, um, listen to this, Dawson. Tell me what you think. What's your first reaction, and then what's your second reaction, and then what's your third reaction? I want you to have all those reactions at the same time here as I tell you this. Had lunch yesterday with a friend who who dropped this bombshell notion on me, and I had my first, second, and third reactions all at the same time, basically, or, you know, one after the other because of this guy being in my division and the thoughts that I have out of him and, uh, the, you know, how I am with I'm kind of an anti-publicity guy. And the statement that was made was this. I'm 95% sure the Astros are going to trade for Shohei Atani next month. All right, so now give me your first, second, and third reactions to all of that. First reaction is that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> second reaction is that would be awesome, but the third reaction is that's not going to happen. So. <laughs> It's, it, I'm not really – I mean, that'd be great. Yeah, look, I would, I would buy the jersey tonight, but um, I, I see zero scenarios in which that takes place. Okay, here's the thought process. A couple years ago – was it three years ago? Maybe four years ago. Maybe three years ago. It, and it came out like a year or two later. The Astros had had 
agreed on a contract, and it got nixed at the very last second for Bryce Harper. And in other words, they the part of the reason why Crane got rid of Click is Crane likes making splash moves at the All Star break. Click did not making like making splash moves at the All Star break. My first reaction was, there's no way that's going to happen. Because your first thought is, well, it's going to cost too much. Well, no. Once you get past that first thought, it's not going to cost you hardly anything other than a few prospects. Because they would trade for him for two months plus the playoffs. They have no chance of signing him because the punks are going to give him like $600 million or whatever they're going to give him. Like they have no, they would not even think about signing him as a free agent after the season. But that doesn't mean they can't trade for him in the season. Now, the other thing is, would the little MVPs trade him to the Astros, who they probably hate? I mean, they got to hate the Astros. They own them. So I don't know about that part, but. Crane likes making splashes at the All-Star break. The next question is, like, I don't want to give up Hunter Brown for him. But I'd give up a top pitching prospect in the minors. Maybe an Urquidy. Yiner. You know, I don't want to give up too much. Well, it... But... Would it be worth it to sacrifice Gilbert? But but it, here's it, my to win thing. A, it, to, to win a World Series, or would you just vote no? I mean, I'm in the group of people that like seeing fun things happen, and seeing Shohei Otani even just for you know three months in an Astros uniform would be kind of like enough for me to be all in on it. But I don't see I don't see the Angels moving him. I don't think they would. I mean, and well, I no, guess the Angels are going to trade him. You no. think they oh, really are going to trade him? I, I'm firmly convinced of that. I don't know though, because they're look, they're a game above 500, or maybe two if they pulled it out last night. I know their bullpen was uh, in. No, in they position. came back and won last night. So they yeah. won last yeah. night, right? So they're they're a couple of games above 500 in today's day and age with the wild card system the way it is. I I don't think I think the Angels try to make one more run at it with this group. I think they try to make a run at it with Shohei and Trout because they know that they're losing him at the end of the season. If unless they significantly struggle in the next month, I I don't think they trade him. I just don't know how you can let that guy go and not get a pretty good haul for him when you haven't won in forever. Like, I don't know. I'm convinced that they're going to trade him. Now, I get your point, and if I will actually be impressed if they don't trade him and they go for it. But right now, boy, they better get really hot. <laughs> They better get really hot because, you know, you can get a pretty good haul for them, I would think, even for just a few months. Um, I'm just saying that was not even on my radar until yesterday. But I actually hear the argument, at least. Can you imagine what the price of a ticket would be? They would up the price of the tickets. Like, like it's already sold out fairly often at Minute Maid Park, but when that with that cat there, I mean, he's just you know everyone just ooh and ah and ba goo goo gaga over that guy. Well, I'm going next weekend, so I hope they make the trade tomorrow and that he starts and bats fourth <laughs> when I'm in Houston. That'd be awesome. 
I hope he's on the mound, starting, batting fourth. I hope he hits four home runs and throws eight shutout innings. Now, my third and fourth reaction is this. I know this isn't exactly like the Padres or the – because it's just a, a, a boring situation. You're just boring him. It's a rental, as they say. But dream teams, in my mind, don't work. Like, dream teams hardly ever work. Has a dream team ever worked? Maybe there's one or two exceptions out there. But dream teams don't work. But if you pick up a rental at the end of a, at the, you know, in essentially August, for August and September in the playoffs, I don't know that you can classify that as a dream team. To me, a dream team is more of a regular season thing, I guess. Like you're constructing a roster in the offseason and you put together this dream team. The Dodgers 2020 team is in, is in somewhat of a conversation for that, but yeah, I don't know. We've seen rentals go down. The one year Oakland tried to go all in, it was a disaster when they traded for Leicester, and they were awful in the playoffs that year and, and went home early. But, yeah, no, I think rental – again, the, the whole idea of a rental is it's a much lower-risk deal to make, which the Astros have done it in the past with Carlos Gomez, and it didn't work out, but it didn't derail them. Um, I think that's the whole idea is that you're – They did it with Verlander, and it worked out. Yeah, right. No, it's been on both ends. But, but also Verlander, it didn't end up being a rental, although – you know, I don't know what the mindset was at the time of the trade. But the other interesting thing about it is that you you have less so that like to your point, if Otani was under contract for three more years, no then chance. he wouldn't be being traded anyway. But the the deal would be literally not like nothing we've ever seen, right? You would right. have to give up current major leaguers, multiple of them, your best five or six prospects. I mean, it, it would be unbelievable. But since it is a rental, yeah, you can it would be a big haul, but it would be like within the realm of possibility. It wouldn't, you wouldn't totally be sacrificing the future. You know who could be part of that, Trey? JP France? Spencer Arrigetti. Oh, certainly. Yeah. No, same, same idea there. Yeah. Could be both. It's not going to happen, so you don't have to worry about it. But yes, it could be in in the theoretical world. (laughs) The man, look, my my first and second reaction was no, no way it's going to happen. No, but the more I think about it, I don't know that it's out of the realm of possibility. I don't know if I'd go 95% on it, but I do think that Crane likes to make splashes. The Bryce Harper thing about example makes me think he he and plus he would help. Yeah, I mean, you don't would, think he would help? Oh, he'd be great. Again, yeah, he's he's awesome. I mean, he could help any. He could help the. I mean, the A's would be better, obviously, with him. Like they could win a few more games, but I don't think it's happening. Not only don't think I'm, I'm, I'm not more than ninety five percent confident it's not happening. On the opposite end of, you know, the the person who is ninety five percent confident it will happen. <laughs> oh man, it's just not healthy for me to think about this and the Saints at the same time. I, I'm, it's just not healthy for my little mind right now. I'm vulnerable. We'll take a time out and be back. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. All right, so we'll put that on the shelf and revisit that, you know, five weeks from now. If it, and then, you know, Although probably, you know, once you get around the all-star break, you start really start hearing like potential rumors. Now, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and use this opportunity to remind myself and all of y'all like we do every year that most of the rumors you hear in the month of July do not come true. So like so often we we tend to when we hear a rumor in July, we think it's going to come true. Some of them come true, but most of them do not. Especially, not that a player's going to leave, but I'm talking about, like, if someone's on the market, you say, oh, they're going to be traded. The first two or three teams you hear normally are not the teams that they get traded to. Every once in a while, it is accurate, but most of the time, it's not. So, just to kind of prepare our mind for that. Um, So, we'll put that on the shelf. All right, so... Just to knock off a few of these names, how are you in general talking about when you rank things like coaches or players with the old people? Like, do you do should you automatically dismiss a pioneer in a sport on an all time list? No, I don't think you should dismiss him. Certainly not. You know, so like this guy from the from the Lakers from the forties and fifties, he's got five titles. So, is there any way he should be ahead of Popovich or Riley? Well, part of this, and I'm kind of on your side. I don't really like the rankings like this anyway. Um, especially s- stuff like individual stuff within a bigger. I I think it's a lot easier to rank something like dynasties when you can take like into account the entire. It's so much easier to take the construct of a team's accomplishments within a league in a time period than it is a player's accomplishments on a team within a league because you have so much more variability into what they actually impacted. Um, but a coach is more like with, a team than a player is. I guess so, but I, even in that situation, I mean, I, yeah, I would have the conversation about him, but again, obviously I don't know anything about those guys. I never saw those teams play. I, I don't even know if I've seen highlights, right? So it's... It's oh, you never saw George Mikan? <laughs> Maybe one or two, but that cat. It's so much harder than to like have real perspective on it. Is my point there? So I would definitely include it, but you're just kind of looking at numbers at that point, and that's you know tougher to do. So, do you buy Red Orbach? Um, buy or like just yes or no? Like sure, like. I don't know. It just seems like he had every advantage. Well, I think most all-time legends do. Like that's kind of why they are. Like you talk, you say that about Tom Brady, but I say that's basically any all-time great in anything. Patrick Mahomes, as great as he is right now, we would obviously not be in the same situation if he didn't go to Andy Reid and sit behind Alex Smith and everything like that. Maybe he would have been really, really good elsewhere. And I think you you can have the same conversation about Tom Brady, but. It's obviously the only way to get to the top because everybody's great, 
in the league. So the only way to get to the top of the top of the top of the all-time list is to not only be that great, but also have the best circumstances. You really think that Greg Popovich had the best circumstances? Um, I don't know about the best, but he certainly had decent. Like he, the players that he's ended up with were pretty good. They were, but or were any of them top ten or twelve or fifteen all time? You don't think Duncan's in that conversation? Oh, I'm very high. I I I probably put Duncan a little higher than some. But I don't. I think a lot of. I think a lot of lists are not going to have him top ten, top fifteen. Maybe at so. All time. Maybe so. Which I. Which is. Yeah. That's part of the reason I have pop. I would have. Well, I haven't put it together yet. But I know he's going to be up there for me. Um, but and you know the other funny thing, and and I heard this conversation. I actually heard an interview, which this is kind of off the resume. But I heard an interview with like a legendary surfer, and they were talking to him about the idea of because he's still surfing. He's like into his fifties. Um, about the idea of just hanging it up when you're on the top or continuing to do it, and why does it impact some people's legacies? And I think it's a really fascinating argument about the guy who retires on the top but then always will then be leaving the idea of, well, what if he stayed on there versus the guy who stays and, like, right now, we'll see what happens with Greg Popovich's coaching career, but it's obviously been pretty bad the last few years in San Antonio. I don't think that's all his fault. But would his legacy have been in a better place if he'd have just hung it up either after his last title or a year or so after it. Or is this cat from France going to be the best well, player he ever coached? Now and, and he's going to win yeah. like multiple titles. That's got a whole different side of it too, right? But that's also the conversation I think with Brady, which I don't know if when his legacy is as what it is, but is it better to go out with the title and being on top, but then still having the questions of was there more left? Or is it better to see the decline and know that's everything they had in them, but they went out, as a mediocre player, coach, whatever, when at one point they could have retired when they were the best in the world. Okay, so who do you vote for, Pat Riley or Popovich? They both have the same amount of world titles. Probably probably Popovich. I'd have to go back into it a little bit more and look at some of those early Pat Riley uh, titles and kind of look at the, the rosters because I'm not as familiar with it off the top of my head. I mean, obviously he played... He coached great Laker teams. Yeah. I mean, they had Kareem and Magic right. and Worthy. So that's why I would instantly go Popovich. But then it's like you also have this funny thing where you go, how much of those peop- of those players' greatness do you want to attribute to the coach? And how much of like how much of Belichick's legacy is actually, yeah, well, he got that out of Brady or he put it in the system to where Brady could succeed. You could argue that with the coaches too, right? Like were those guys – but then I guess when you have the same number of titles and stuff like that and you did it with the lesser-known guys, then you probably give Popovich a nod in some of those categories, right? And we're both more small market mentality than we are you know, glitz and glamour. And me being a Laker fan just doesn't fit anything else about my sports fandom. I mean, it just it just doesn't fit. And I've told the story before, and if somebody ever wants to know, just ask me. I'll tell you the story why I became a Laker fan. But it's it it, it wasn't about glitz or glamour for me because I was like six or seven years old. I didn't know one from the other. I just knew that the Celtics, you just don't root for them because they just look bad. Like... I don't know, something from the time I was five and six years old, I just knew you don't pull for the Celtics. I've just never done it. They were like the first team I ever hated. Um, 
I don't know. Well, for why. me, that was the Yankees. That set, that similar story was with the Yankees. I think I had a, a I I think the Yankees were my least favorite team before I ever even liked a team. I think <laughs> I already didn't like the Yankees. So I kind of I see what you're saying there. I didn't have that feeling about the Celtics. I actually probably preferred them over the Lakers at all time, and I still do. But uh, I do get the idea. Yes. Yes. So anyway, that uh, I, 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 even though I'm a Laker fan, and I think Pat Riley was a great coach, and I think he handled that situation very well. Like it was a volatile situation, you know, because the the personality, like Worthy, was just there. You know, he was just cool, calm, smooth. But Kareem was, you know, had a lot of opinions, and Magic was just, you know, all over the place. So. I think he handled it well. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Kevin Foote. The real An award-winning journalist. Popular sports talk show host. And a man who apparently moonlights as a doctor. A medicine season of a different strand in 12, obviously, because the criminal commissioner decided to inflict them with with the the whole bounty gate silliness. His descriptions of illnesses are extremely concise. Not a normal strand of a medicine season. It was a different strand. This out of the blue from Timbuktu and all of this bounty gate silliness. Dr. Foote is ready to write a prescription for what ails your favorite team here with more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline. Oh, no, we don't have time for that now, but um, we do have two more days. Again, it was kind of a short week for me because I wasn't here Monday. So we, we, uh, we only got two more days. And it seems like, you know, we, what is today, the seventh? So, like, we're almost, we're essentially going into the second week of June. And there's still lots going on with you know, the NBA Finals in Game 3 and the Super Regionals not till this weekend. The Women's College World Series Finals starts tonight, right? You yeah. feeling good? No. No. <laughs> I mean, because everybody's pulling for you. Yeah, I guess you're feeling as good as you can when you're facing like one of the best softball teams in the history of man and womankind. So I guess as good as I can feel. Um, but like actual confidence about winning the game? Not great, no. Maybe I'm at the level that Giants fans felt going into the uh, 07 Super Bowl. So it worked out, so maybe it'll work out for uh, for the Knowles as well. Have we kind of established that that is the answer? Like, if the Heat win, for that's going to be is. the most unlikely one since then? Yeah, for me, that's what it is. Now, maybe you could... Yeah, no, even then. Uh, no, I think it is. Like, I was going to say, there were teams that put together runs that were unsuspected, but they were never as surprising as this one. Like, even, you know, when Denver did it with, with Peyton Manning being, like, you know, obviously, like, a quarter of Peyton Manning, it was still an absolutely dominantly elite defense, and they won a ton of games throughout the year. So I don't think, you know, those runs I don't think can be compared. Same thing with the Ravens with Flacco. Like, yeah, it was surprising, but, like, they had this elite unit, and they still yeah. won a ton of regular season games. So it wasn't as surprising in that way that, 
yeah, I think I think that's my f- favorite comparison of it. Now, Denver's not quite that Patriots team, too, so I don't know if it reaches on that level. But basketball is not – we've talked about that, too. Like, it's more difficult to have fluky basketball results because you play seven-game series. So it's not – even though the Giants one was shocking, it's like it's football, and we know that in the NFL those things can happen. Basketball's not supposed to be like that. I wonder if they're – like – you know, I wonder if there's anybody who's like me or you, big fan of their teams that they support, and their team is struggling all year. And, and you know, around the All-Star break, they're like, I'm telling y'all, w- when they get to the playoffs, this team's going to be going to turn it up a notch and they're going to go all the way to the finals. <laughs> and everybody's just probably laughing at this cat. By the way, is there any chance that Hero's going to play? Wasn't this supposedly the game he was going to play? It sounded a lot more likely earlier, but I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I think some of those things can be like, again, let him warm up and see. No, but I mean, to your point about that, I I made that comment with the Saints the year that Taysom was playing quarterback at the end, and I said, my reasoning wasn't I think they're going to get hot and win a Super Bowl, but I thought it would be, first of all, it would be tremendous fun to watch Taysom Hill play quarterback in the playoffs. And then I did, there was this idea that it's like, it's a weird look, and if teams can't stop the run and the Saints get a matchup or two in the playoffs, like they could win a couple of playoff games. And while I didn't think they were capable of winning a Super Bowl, I thought it would be a lot of fun. So I think maybe there's some Heat fans that were like, man, this will be a fun run. Maybe they'll win a couple games. But I don't think anybody. Again, they had to they had to beat the best team in the league by far in the first round. That was supposed to be the chalk conference. <laughs> they I had, mean, to, they had to come back in the second play-in game. Like, Imagine how many Heat fans after the first play-in game, and I'm sure there was a lot that were probably like, "I'm not even going to watch the second play-in game. It is what it is." <laughs> yes, it's like it's like the great philosopher Jim Moore once said, "You think you know, but you don't know, and you never will." I mean, I just think that's one of the great flaws. You know, everybody talks about playoffs, but nothing is better than you think you know. But you don't know. And even better than that, you never will. Have a nice day.